and we are live. Episode 115, Business and Buckets, coming right at you on this beautiful Thursday evening, mid-January evening, as I prepare to head to Laramie, Wyoming tomorrow to go watch some Wyo basketball. Let's go, Pokes. Hopefully, Hunter Maldonado will be playing. EK still out. Uh, Noah Reynolds back, but really this team last year really came on the scene, got a couple transfers, you know, pretty much kept their whole core unit together. So I had booked a trip to go stay with some of my good friends, Jake McKinney, see his family, uh, one of the more influential families as I was a child growing up in Pinedale, Wyoming. So just go see some, some really good friends I haven't seen in a long time. Go to Laramie, Wyoming. I don't think I've been there since I was like 10 or 12 years old. It's going to be a little chilly, especially coming from the desert. Uh, so I'm excited to go get a, a winter weekend, go to the Dome of Doom, go watch a Wyoming basketball game for the first time. I've only gone and watched football there. I would you know, even like to go back for a football game. But got to go check some basketball out. Excited about that. This past weekend, it was obviously a holiday weekend, MLK Day. Um, I got to go snowboarding in Arizona at the Arizona Snow Bowl for the first time, which was a very interesting experience because they just had a snowstorm in Flagstaff, uh, where it is. It's about two and a half hours, you know, two and a half hours, three hours from where I live in Phoenix. And you basically, I, I believe Phoenix where I live is right around 200 or 2000 feet and you go up to nine and some change. So you, you cruise up 7,000 plus feet, completely different, you know, environment, uh, climate and everything, although it is so close. So as I head up there, they have a storm, which is great. Get a ski with some good snow in the desert, but man, nobody knows how to drive in the winter. I stopped at the gas station to grab, uh, some Gatorade, some water. And, uh, these people are saying this is the first time they'd ever seen snow. Obviously, they're tourists or they don't live in Flagstaff. But uh, I was on schedule to be at the mountain at 9.30. It opens at 9 a.m. And I did not get to the parking lot until just shy of 11 o'clock because there was people in the ditch, on the roads, cars that didn't belong. It was quite the experience. And will I go back? Potentially. I'm sure I will because I, I have an itch to go. And it's really the only option around here. And... Uh, you know, if they have good snow like that, it'll be fine. The mountain's pretty small, not a ton of trails, not, you know, tremendous terrain, but good enough to, to go enjoy the time. There's some places to get some drinks, a couple different lifts. You know, it, you, could, you could have a good enough day, but they, they charge by, what is it called, um, demand pricing. So if there's a bunch of people going, there's good weather. I've seen it as high as like $240 for a lift ticket which is, is, the, is the same cost of world-class skiing, and I just don't think that makes sense. I had booked it a couple weeks ahead of time, planning that there would be snow, hit the nail on the head, paid about 80 bucks. You can find $40, $50 days. So really, you have to risk a day, get a cheap ticket. Hopefully, it works out, because if you want a Saturday, a primetime day with the snow coming in, they're going to charge you. But enough about my life. Uh, the past week, what I got going on, we're going to talk everything MMA because we have the first pay-per-view card of the year going down this weekend, and there's been plenty of action. 
you know, since the Dana White incident, I had assumed there'd be a lot of fight announcements, and there definitely has been a lot of that. But before we jump in, let's talk the one and only sponsor here, oh, here at Business and Buckets, and that's Field Supplements. Fellas, performance is at the top of the list in all categories of our lives. That's why you need Counterattack from Field Supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is so much more than the average testosterone booster. Counterattack combats estrogen production, supports liver, kidney, and heart health, as well as boosts sex drive, energy levels, and lean muscle mass. So let's face it, we all want to feel like a young, energized version of ourselves, so increase vitality inside and outside the gym with Counterattack. The missus will thank you for it. So don't wait. Go to FueledSupplements.com. Enter promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off Counterattack and other products. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. And I've been talking a lot about the rebrand, lots of things in motion there. As we prepare for that, we have some exciting things going on with Fueled Supplements and another sponsor coming up. So lots of cool things here in the future, but lots of great things. Episode 115, as wild as that is. For MMA. So let's start with Alex Caceres versus Nate Landaweer, March 25th, San Antonio, Texas. Can you imagine the crowd? Nate the Train in Texas fighting Bruce Leroy after the amazing head kick knockout of Julian Rosa. I can't wait for that one. The crowd is going to love that matchup. And stylistically, it's going to go down. I just listened to Alex Caceres's. MMA hour interview today while I was working and uh, he seems fucking just the best version of, of himself and I think potentially that Julian Arosa is one of the best UFC performances he, he's had this far in his career but Nate the Train man he ain't playing so that's going to be a great fight speaking of great fights tickets pre-sale happened this morning I almost thought about getting a sweet ticket because John Bones Jones is gracing the UFC octagon in Las Vegas once again against Cyril Gone UFC 285, March 4th in my back door. I mean, Jesus. When I even try to conceptualize the idea of John Jones going up, he had talked about it a long time ago. I really wasn't sure if it was going to happen. And uh, as it really started conceptualizing and becoming like, oh, oh shit, this could actually happen. I mean, there was talk to Stipe. Could have been a great fight. And Ganu, we'll talk about that. Could have been an amazing fight. But you want to put fucking the best stylistic opportunity in front of the fans? John Jones, Cyril, Gunn. Are you kidding me? The athletic ability these guys will have at heavyweight uh, Cyril Gunn, I think, moves better than any heavyweight I've ever seen. His distance control, his speed, his durability, his power. And we're talking the GOAT, in my opinion, John Jones. The problem is, it's been a long time. It's a lot of weight. He's done it right. He's taken his time. And if you're going to expect anyone to figure it out, you expect Boney's, uh, John Bones Jones to get it figured out. But there is still the what-ifs. I am excited to see what happens. You know, thought about going to Vegas. I have a friend that lives in Vegas actually rock, rocking his niche merch today. Uh, niche clothing. Check him out on Twitter. I posted something on my story today 
uh, Evan Lundy, um, one of my buddies. Pretty sweet swag, man. I mean, check it out. You know, it's like the nice streetwear, high-quality clothing. It's just not that cheap shit. You could rock it for quite some time. I like the color as well. So, you know, support your homies. Buy their shit. My, my guys are doing big things. Excited to help support them. Um, but, you know, might have to mess around and catch Vegas. Go be around the event or something. I don't know. But uh, it's been a long day coming. And he is back. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, we also have, oh, my God. Rafael Faziv versus Justin Gaethje, UFC 286, March 18th, a couple weeks later. I mean, the human highlight has had fight of the years, rounds of the years, highlights of the years in his last few fights. And Faziv is a fucking madman in his prime on a tear. I mean, both of those fights, you could put them up with some of the best matchups of the year. I'm sure these are going to be fight of the year candidates. And, uh, I don't even know what to say. I mean, this is going to be a fucking scrap. Well, you know, I think this is probably the toughest test for Fazeev today. Uh, but I can't wait to see how that shakes down. March is going to be one hell of a month. I have family coming, friends coming for spring training, UFC like this. I mean, just a kid in a candy shop. And finally, officially, Leon Edwards, Kamaro Usman rematch. In the O2 in London, and I am stoked for that. Uh, the first fight was quite the performance, obviously. The end, the climax, was where it was all at. Pound for pound, headshot dead. Um, one, of the, one of the coolest stories in the past five years of MMA. Um, I, I think it, it was probably the biggest moment of last year. And uh, can the Nigerian nightmare claim his throne? I, I will assume he does. And, uh, you know, could just make a... I don't need to really dive into that one. I know enough. Kamaro's getting the fucking job done. Um, Michelle Watterson, Luana Pinheiro, UFC 287. See the karate hottie gracing the octagon once again. You always got to tune in for Michelle Watterson. The young flyweight stud prospect fucking grappling legend, Muhammad Mokayev, taking on Hafel Filho. UFC 286. He wanted to fight in London. He wanted to make it happen. This is who we got because no one else wanted to sign the dotted line. But we continue to see the evolution of Mohamed Makayev. Carol Rosa, Norma Dumont, a good scrap of some veteran UFC women. Probably the most surprising uh, bout announced this week. And not surprising by like, you know, I'm surprised they're matched up together. But the fact that Pewter Jan is gracing the UFC roster in Octagon again and taking on Marab Dwalishwili, March 11th, a guy that nobody wants to fuck with, Pewter Jan says, you know what? I'm going to find a way and allow this to leapfrog me right back to where I fucking belong. And uh, I'm excited for that. It's all going to come down. Can he, uh, Pewter, avoid the situation of just being, you know, grappled and hugged and hold on to for five for three or five rounds whatever i'm assuming it's three rounds um to get a decision because I, I doubt that this will go uh be a finish before the judges scorecards but who knows we'll talk about that as it gets closer to that event uh a younger guy that i like to watch ignacio baja mondez is taking taking on nicholas moda 
Um, TJ Brown, Bill Algeo matched up. Both good, high-quality fights that we'll be tuning into. Uh, Jack Shore is back from injury, taking on Makwan Amirkani at UFC 286. I'm assuming nobody really wanted to fuck with Jack Shore. He's ready to be back after the injury. I believe he was supposed to fight Ricky Simone, which would have been a scrap. The young blood Raul Rosas Jr. taking on Christian Rodriguez at UFC 287. There's going to be enough uh, hype around him as he is only 18 years old. Amanda Nunez, the lioness, is going to um, fight Irene Aldana for the bantamweight women's championship at UFC 285. They just loaded up that card as the two women goats will be fighting and potentially could set that up for the the, the rematch, huh? We got Valentina Shevchenko, Alexa Grasso. I love that Alexa's getting the title shot. UFC 285, so both women fighting. I'm sure there will be a lot of collaboration. Joe Rogan, the Octagon, something of that nature, pushing for them to potentially fight each other. There's already been chatter in the past 12 months, and I'm all for it. Like, let's come on. There's levels to UFC women, and those two women are levels above. Rob fought Adrian Yanez. We talked about this last week. It wasn't finalized. It is finalized. UFC 287. Put that scrap on pay-per-view. Um, the way those guys fucking just sit in the pocket and throw hands, that is for sure going to be a highlight fight. Dusta Jacoby, Azamat Merzakanov, April 15th. That'll be a fun one in the light heavyweight division. Edson fucking Barboza, Billy Quarantillo, April 15th as well. Um... Again, lots of beautiful matchmaking here. Um, Billy Quarantilla looking great in his last couple fights. Edson Barboza looking to regain momentum late in his career in a new weight class. But damn, can those guys fucking fight. And I expect that to be three glorious rounds of MMA. On the MMA hour, Curtis Blades calling for Sergey Pavlovich. Uh, he don't give a, a fuck. Uh, he wants to take on a top dog with a lot of hype. And he knows that this is going to be his best way to get to the heavyweight championship because we got Nganu's out, John Jones, Cyril gone. Stipe's already calling for the winner of that. But if Curtis Blades fucks up Sergey Pavlovich, you cannot deny the man anymore. And uh, either way, I'm all for it. Way to fucking go and just do what you got to do. A lot of UFC releases this week. Uh, some of some of this isn't the whole list has been rumored behind the James Krause stuff, um, but some of them just make sense. The UFC is releasing Sierra Eubanks, Michael Trezano, which was a very surprising one. He was at the end of his contract. Maybe he's going to go get paid more elsewhere. Former Ultimate Fighter winner coming off a knockout victory. Ludwig Sholinian, who was an Ultimate Fighter, you know, kind of just brought into the UFC. Jay Perrin, who just lost to Raul, and Raulian Paiva, uh, who has had a pretty solid UFC career. So lots of names off the roster. And Patty Pimblett announcing he is undergoing ankle surgery in March. Uh, don't really know the extent to this, but just basically means that we will not see him till later in the year, if at all. And after the controversial fight, uh, it's just really going to hamper the rocket ship of the Kosh Cow 
And um, I don't really think he's a cash cow. I thought he lost that fucking fight anyways. So hopefully he takes the time to heal up and get uh, better in his game. Um, but I do love his fucking walkout song, man. That shit hypes me up, the whole the whole setup. And John Jones officially coming back, signing an eight-fight deal, which just locks him to the UFC. He said he is guaranteeing two fights. He is eyeing the, obviously, Cyril Gone fight. And then winning that and potentially fighting Stipe Miocic, which, fuck yeah, give me all the John Jones fights. We've been deprived of him in his prime for way too long. We deserve it. He deserves it. Let's make it happen. And the funny thing about the John Jones fight is T-Mobile blew it. Uh, They posted a banner of him and gone outside of T-Mobile Arena. Wasn't supposed to happen. uh, Dana White talked about it in the press conference. And, um, you know, at the time, we didn't know about Francis. It was kind of questionable. Maybe he wasn't healthy at the time. Um, but come to find out, this started from Dana. Francis came on the MMA hour and cleared things up a bit. That Francis rejected a contract from the UFC that would have made him the highest paid heavyweight in the history of the promotion. Uh, supposedly, Lesnar had been offered around $8 million, So had Ngannou. And... You know, the whole drama of Dana White's narratives, which I take everything with a grain of salt. Dana is a businessman. He is going to do what is good for business. That's why the UFC is blown up to where it is. Whatever opinions you feel about him in recent circumstances, he does do that very well. He does tend to put a certain narrative on certain fighters once they leave the promotion or don't want to resign. Um... And Demetrius Johnson had posted some stuff recently about the pay that he got in the UFC when he had his first title fight. I mean, one of the best fighters ever. Fucking Mighty Mouse, man. First title fight, Dominic Cruz, he got $14,000. When he fought Joe Benavidez, uh, he got um, two times. uh, He had 30 and 30 and then 15 and 50 as champion. But he never got pay-per-view points. So, um... Yeah, that's pretty... I mean, this was a few years ago. I'm sure it's approved a little bit. Negotiation tactics. Flyweight just was not putting in the ratings as great as Mighty Mouse was. I'm sure there's a lot of reasoning to that. But to be a champion, not get pay-per-view points at the time, that has since improved. I believe every champion uh, gets pay-per-view points now. So it just shows, you know, the transparency. We all knew, you know, this fight pay isn't crazy. To think about as much work, effort, nutrition fucking supplements and everything these fighters have to do to be at top level performance athlete. You're getting 30 and 30, $60,000. You might get a fight one or two more times. That's just crazy. That's why it is so important for UFC fighters to create a name and likeliness, a social media following, posting videos, vlogs, this and that, so that you could create something, sell merch, get a fucking Patreon or something of that nature. And that's why I'm excited for rebranding on my MMA podcast One of the things we're going to do is episodes of basically fighter stories, how they became a fighter, what their story was like, what their history was, and what they are doing to not just be a fighter collecting uh, 10 and 10 and, and, and giving us the transparency of what it really takes to be a fighter. Last week, I talked about rejoining jujitsu and just forgetting the mental fortitude, the grind, the dedication, the fucking work ethic you have to do to be good at that. And I am, you know, just reminded of my wrestling days. But the fact that they're making this kind of money and the effort and energy they're putting in, 
A lot of people think, well, I could just go into fighting. Okay, cool. Well, you're only making this much money. You're going to have another job. What happens if you have kids, a girlfriend? Like, how do you manage that? And it'll be good for fighters to tell that story so we could set the tone for the future fighters, the Rahul Rosas. I'm sure he's already good. He's got a 50K bonus. He's got a whole fucking following. But future fighters that come in so young, really what it's going to take and, and provide that path to victory as I think the quality of fighters in the next 10 years is going to go fucking bananas. Anyways, back to Nganu and Dana White. Dana White had a narrative that he, that he thinks the reason he did not resign as he offered him, you know, they've been in negotiations for months, almost a year, a, a shit ton of money, and he didn't offer it. He said that he thinks Nganu is afraid to fight John Jones. He isn't getting younger. He doesn't know about his knee. I think that is not just a completely made-up statement. I think that if he did not get what he wanted in negotiations, right, why sign with the UFC if they're trying to lock him in? He has interest in boxing, you know, any of the big names, Joshua, Wilder, Tyson Fury, which would be the big one. Um, imagine the amount of money you can get in that, bio, that boxing bout in itself. It's fuck you retirement money you know, generational kind of money if you do it right. So if you're not going to give me what I want, you're going to try to lock me in for eight fights, which the UFC wants to do, right? They want to have everyone under contract. That's how they could keep putting out UFC events every weekend. That's how they can make matchups happen because they're in control of their athletes and the, the, the quality of what is happening. So if you're going to sign Francis, you can't sign him to one fight deal because he's probably going to fight John Jones and potentially do something else. And there's a lot of risk there. So they want to keep him under contract. That is business 101 that makes complete sense. Whether you like it or, or not, if I was a UFC owner, I would try to do the same thing or else you have a boxing conundrum, which is just a, a lot of stuff. Anyways, um, I don't think that Dana White completely made everything up. I, I think he's probably a little upset. He's the baddest man on the planet. He'll keep moving on. They lose good fighters. The promotion keeps going. It'll be interesting to see how much longer Nganu is a big name in anything MMA, depending on where he signs, if he boxes, how he heals. Because, again, he is not getting younger. And um, he's more of a one-dimensional fighter. I would take John Jones and Cyril Gunn over him any day. Although Nganu just beat him. He grappled him. That was a, a, a wrinkle. I guarantee you if they fought again, I'm picking Cyril gone. Can't guarantee they would, that he would win because we'll just never know. But um, I, I do think there was some thoughts from Nganu of like, yeah, fuck, I have to fight John Jones. I, I am not ready. The UFC wants to be on this timeline. That's not going to make work. That's not going to make sense. I don't want to box. So fuck them. I'll figure it out. Right. And um, so I think there was some truth to that. But then Ngannou goes on the MMA hour and talks a little bit more detail of like, hey, I wanted, you know, insurance, pay, all these things that will help all of the UFC. And clearly Dana White's not going to give in to that. He's like, I had to ask, which is true. And I believe that um, Hunter and the other UFC brass were trying for Ngannou a lot harder, harder than Dana White was. Um, but Ngannou gave some, uh, you know, his side of the story, and I think it was very interesting. I think that, uh, you know, Dana's a, a little sour. He's always going to, you know, try to come out on top of the situation, and I, I think this is probably best for both fighters. I don't think Nganu has a lot of quality fights in the UFC left, to be honest, especially with the young talent coming in. The Pavloviches, Cyril Gon's still there, John Jones coming in, although it won't be for a long time, but a good time. 
I mean, there's some high, high quality fighters coming through. Um, so I'm just interested to see how it shakes out. But um, I, I don't know if he can get the boxing stuff. It definitely is a good move for him. And, um, you know, if he's unhappy with the way the UFC is treating him, he says he felt like they were just throwing money in his face. They didn't care about anything else he was saying. And I like that he put the fighters first, but I don't think he was negotiating very well. He doesn't have very good management, if any, if I remember he was saying, or agents to do this. It was all him. So, you know, I think there's just a... It could have been handled better on both sides. And I don't think he's scared to fight anyone. He could fucking turn anyone's lights off, you know, a la Stipe Miocic in the second fight. But um, I think there's always truth. You know, there's two sides. I think there's always a little bit of truth on each side. Because everyone just wants to... Pour the gasoline on Dana White right now because you look at all the fighters that are left. Like, they don't want to fight. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do this. You know, like, is he just always going to make shit up and just thinks of this shit on the top of his head? Uh, potentially. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. I, I tend to believe a lot of what he has to say about what's going on. He just seems, you know, transparent when he's saying it. It comes right off his mouth. It's not like he's thinking about it. Like, the whole Nate Diaz situation. Do you think that... The UFC tried to ruin Nate Diaz's career. He's just a fucking wild son of a bitch. And she said, no, f- no, fuck you. Fuck this guy. No, f-. you know, I'm sure it's a lot to deal with. So the, the fighters are uh, not businessmen either. Anyways, lots of shit happening there. Um, with more shit, we have the official intel or update on the James Krause allegations. You know, I do a MMA podcast, right? About to rebrand this bitch. I'm going to be doing a lot of betting intel. I'm super into it. I think that the MMA odds are not as matured as NFL, NBA, and other sports because a lot of people, there's not as many sharkies or whoever is the people that have the odds set up that know what's going on. Sometimes you get new prospects that come in. Odds are wildly out of control. Things just don't make sense. Whereas in football, if I bet the fucking spread, the over-under, I swear to God they're Every half a point fucking matters. They have that shit dialed in so good it doesn't make any fucking sense. It's almost so good it feels scripted sometimes. UFC, not quite as much. So I tuned into what James Krause is saying on YouTube. I respect him as a coach. If you saw what he did with Brandon Moreno and Kai Car France's IQ level is very high. I always respect a high IQ. And, um, you know, he's a good speaker. He just he does a lot of things well. He's an ultimate fighter guy. I've always kind of rooted for him. He's definitely a better coach and uh, social media guy than he was a fighter. He had a Discord channel. I had tuned into that and never paid for anything, just the free version, see what's going on. He had some pretty good intel. I didn't take it over the top. Supposedly, he had a the paid one that, that went a lot more deeper. He had an offshore you know, company that was you know, paying him with an offshore bank account to give them picks, give them intel information. There was obviously the one fight where the fighter was hurt. There was a big wave of bets. That's where a lot of this came from. But they checked the emails. There's some serious shady shit going on. And that's where he was making a lot of his money. Jeff Molina also suspended for alleged you know, involvement in this allegation. So where I thought it was, you know, hey, the guy is just giving his verdicts. He sees a lot of things. It is what it is. He could take advantage of the system. Because the fact that, you know, fighters could bet on fighting is pretty wild. There was guys that were like, Fuck yeah, I just bet my whole check on this fight and I doubled my money. Like, that's savage, right? In the NFL, no one could do anything. Calvin Ridley type shit. 
here we are in the UFC and everyone and going down. So now there's the new rules to avoid this. But I just thought he was playing the system a little bit. Well, apparently that's not true. People get greedy. Shit happens. And we'll see what, what comes out of it. But it's not looking good. And I was wrong in my assumption of this, this James Krause situation. I didn't think it was going to lead to that much craziness. But here we are. Everyone's trying to find a way, right? It's, it's a hard world out there. You know, we're all human. Shit happens. I am grateful every day. You see all these layoffs, people's trials and tribulations. Practice your gratitude. Do what you got to do. We have a lot to be thankful for. Outside of the UFC, Diego Sanchez fighting Austin Trout and BKFC. I've talked about my thoughts of Diego going to BKFC at this point in his career. I mean, what is this guy? 40, 43 is my guess. 41. This guy is a legend of the sport. One of the first characters or fighters that really got me fired up about this UFC. You have guys like him, Clay Guida, BJ Penn, you know, GSP, all those guys. He is just, you know, he's had a lot of, you know, events throughout his career of personal things that are just a little out of control. And I worry for his brain health. I really worry for Diego Sanchez as a person. And I'm sure BKFC is going to love the ratings or whatever he's bringing in and they're paying him well. But can we as promotions and just high-level people in the fight game protect fighters a little bit? We don't want to give them health insurance, health pay, any of those types of things. Can we just not sign guys that are definitely too fucked up? And, you know, there's the, the debate of what can they do? What else can we do? Can we just set them up for something else? Get them on TV talking about shit. Someone set them up with a fucking podcast or something. But golly, will I watch? Probably not. Will I check to what happened? Absolutely. But uh, this guy cannot be taking any more strikes to the head. It's just, it's fucking terrible. In Bellator, cards are getting molded for this year. There's the big Bellator Paris card, Paris, on May 12th. Gegard, Musasi, Fabian Edwards. That is going to be a fun fight. Musasi coming back. Really interested to see how he performs. I expect a good performance. And uh, this is a huge moment for him in his career. One of the bigger names in Bellator, if you're trying to tune into Bellator. Official for the millionth time, Jake Paul, Tommy Fury. Come on down, February 25th. With all the Jake Paul news, you would almost assume that uh, there would be a fucking um, uh, amazing amount of ads or, you know, fight previews. I haven't really heard shit except the announcement. And the fact that it's, a, you know, a month away is pretty wild. So, Jake Paul, Tommy Fury, it's happening until it doesn't. You know? Is this going to happen? I, 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 I wish there was Vegas lines on this. I would pick that it does not happen. Tommy Fury's pulled out for multiple different excuses and reasons, but I want to see this fucking fight. Can we please make it happen? Force him to do it. I hope I hope his family's like, you're a fucking disgrace. Fight, goddammit. Show your worth. Uh, his dad and family are quite the characters. I would be intimidated as hell. But let's talk last weekend's fight card. Golly, I was so close to making a lot of bread units, whatever fucking 
betting terms you want to use. I went eight and one on picks. Went eight and one on picks. I mixed in my parlays with other sports, and the one fight fucked me, man. It fucked me. But anyways, UFC Fight Night, Vegas 67. Some fights we did not break down that were good. That if you can watch back, ESPN Plus members, Alan Nasamento, man, performance of the night, round one submission. I was very impressed by him. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, second round knockout. I figured he would be able to show the young blood a little bit of something, something, and he was able to figure it out. He finally showed a little bit of patience, but golly, can he fuck someone up once he lands with that power? Anyways, let's start in the prelims. We had Charles Energy Johnson with a round one knockout over Jimmy the Brick Flick. Now, a lot of people, you know, this is a prelim fight on, I'll be honest, this was an amazing card, right? There were some pretty good fights. Some of them just, I don't know, it was a decent card. I'm excited for the fights this weekend to really start the new year. But Charles Johnson looked good, man. And a lot of people coming in, it's like, oh, Jimmy Flick, he's tricky. You know, I, I think he might find it. He was the Vegas underdog. I said, nah, man. Besides the Mokayev fight, which he, he you know, challenged Mokayev, he's looked solid since he's entered the UFC. And I figured he'd get the job done. And he was aggressive. He came out the gate looking to get a finish. He was super confident. You could tell he's feeling himself a little bit. He knows Mikhaev is a grappling heavy guy, and it just he just, you know, it, it, it's going to take you a long time to learn how to defend and get away from a guy that can grapple like that, like straight wrestling, fucking Sambo, Dagestani wrestling. Uh, you can't just like, oh, fuck, yeah, we got three months, man. Three months we're going to figure this shit out. This, it's not going to work that way. I thought he looked good, though. Statistically, it only took him 44 total, 34 significant strikes. He did have a reversal. While Jimmy only landed seven total and significant, he did get one takedown but three attempts. So rough night at the office for the brick flick. Charles extends his winning streak to two. He is two and one in the UFC. Jimmy starts a new losing streak and is also two and one in the UFC. So what's next? Give me Flick and Alessandro Costa and Charles Johnson versus Tyson Nam. That would be a banger for a flyweight fight. Two grown-ass men that like to throw bombs. Let's make it happen. Then we had Javid the Snow Leopard Basharat with a unanimous decision over Maytush Bakoa Mendonka. And this is two legit fucking prospects in a legit fucking weight class in in bantamweight. Two Dana White contender series, same season winning motherfuckers going to battle. And the fact that they battled each other this early in their career, you know, Basharat's a stud, man. And uh, Metus, I mean, Uh, this guy's going to be a problem. He's so, so young and raw. And even Basharat said, this guy is fucking tough. I tried to get the finish. Uh, I couldn't get it, but he's going to be a, a stud in the UFC. But really, the, the difference is just the savviness, the IQ, and just the fucking mental ability that Javid has. He is so, you know, he's playing chess versus Metus checkers. Metus is more of just an athletic freak that's going to come at you, Terrence McKinney style, you know? And uh, Javid got the job done, like we had predicted. We started 2 0. Um, 
fuck, man. Like, watching Basharat, uh, it's just like every time he was in a bad position, he was so confident. He's moving his hips. They're in reversal. They're in scrambles. He's finding a way on top. His boxing is smooth. Matus would land a big fucking shot. He'd find a way to create separation, come in with a 2-3, you know, four-strike four combo, leg kicks, body kicks, teep kicks. He had the full fucking arsenal out. And, you know, it's a bummer he didn't get a finish here or, uh, or a bonus because this was... The, the, this, like, watch this shit back if you're an ESPN Plus guy, you're a big MMA fan, UFC fan. This kid has skills, man. I love watching beautiful MMA, the full fucking package, and this guy's got it. Statistically, he landed 125 total strikes, 95 of those significant. He had three takedowns himself and five attempts, so pretty high volume. Matus um, landed 70 total, so quite a bit less, 29 significant. Those 29 were pretty fucking significant. And he had two takedowns and 11 attempts, so... You know, he's getting sloppy uh, in the later rounds, trying to find something happen, trying to f- make something happen. But you could tell when someone just levels above you and, you, you you know, he's undefeated, he's coming in confident, he's getting frustrated. He's like, Jesus Christ, and he's just trying to get the knockout. But Basharat was not letting that ish happen. So Javid, he stays undefeated 4-0 in the UFC. Maytou suffers his first loss in his UFC debut. And I correct myself. I said both on the same season of Dana White Contender Series. That is not true. Uh, different seasons, but still a bunch of studs. So, uh, Javid Montel Jackson. Make that shit happen. Would be legit. Um, two guys that have really been on a fucking tear. Let's see. You know, the winner here is really going to be Leapfrog in the top 15. Javid already asked for it. I don't think it'll happen. I mean, we have the rankings, right? I don't think it even happened. I would have written it down. We'll just double check. He said I should be in the top 15. Well, it's bantamweight, brother. Jack Shore, 15. Saeed Nurmagomedov, 14. Not going to happen. Sorry, brother. Sorry about it. He's going to be in there, though. You give him until Jackson, he gets a dub. He is right there. Matus, um, give him Brian Kelleher. Brian Kelleher is always, you know, all fucking shut up the young bloods, blah, blah, blah. That'd be a great fight. Or give him Saeed Yokub Kakramanov, who just suffered a very, very close loss. Those would be great bouts. Deep fucking division, man. Deep. Some good H2O. Then in the main card, the Nurmagomedov takeover continues. Umar with a beautiful, beautiful Round one knockout over a very, very good and proven Rayoni Barcelos. Give him performance of the night. Give him the bread. And this one didn't last very long. Umar's striking, I think, is probably the best out of the Nurmagomedovs, if you were to ask me. He goes up for the kick, and as he's falling down, like, short left. Shit you never see. Fucking cleans the clock. Completely knocks Barcelos out. I don't know if I've seen a knockout like that. Shit was wild. Highlight. Uh, even Umar was like, I, I don't even know how I threw that, why I threw that. My instincts took over, and I fucking knocked him out. Like, he was shocked. Uh, when the striker's shocked, that's just like, holy fuck. But what a performance. And uh, his name, his stock, his UFC stock, it's fucking shooting up. He, it only took him 36 total insignificant strikes, had the knockdown. 
Rayoni only landed 14 total, 13 of them significant, and he was 0 for 1 on takedowns. Trying to take down a Nurmagomedov, man. Uh, he's a good wrestler, but it wasn't successful. Now, Umar stays undefeated. He is 4-0 and in the UFC, stays at number 11 in the rankings, and Rayoni starts a new losing streak. He is 1-3 in his last four fights. I was kind of surprised he stayed at 11, but I understand it because he fought an unranked guy in the fucking top 15. Um, is yacked. We just talked about the, the bottom there. Um... Ricky Simone, 10, Pedro, like, just fucking shoot him up above them. He should be 10 or 9. Give him the 9 spot. I was surprised he didn't move. Um, what the fuck does this guy do next? Well, for Rayoni, let's just get a little veteran showdown. Give me Cub Swanson, Rayoni Barcelos. Fuck, that would be great for fight fans stylistically. Mwah. Uh, for... If not, we got another little veteran showdown. How about Douglas Andrade? Barcelos Andrade, Barcelos Cub Swanson. Make that ish happen. And for Umar, how about Ricky Simone? He said he wouldn't do it, but I'm all for it. It's higher in the rankings. Or Pedro Munoz. Either way, I hope that shit happens fast. I saw Ricky tweet later earlier that he had a contract signed for April. Let's see if that shit's announced yet. Is he fighting, man? No one wants to fight Ricky. Tricky Ricky. Bastard. I want to know who it is. It'll probably be announced right after this. Both sides have agreed I'll be back in the cage in April. America. Umar told him to fuck off and he won't fight him. He'll fight anyone but Simone because he's a little bitch, apparently. Either way, I'd love to see him in the octagon. Maybe a little Dominic Cruz. Maybe Chris Gutierrez. I mean, he's probably going to have to fight behind himself, so we'll see. Either way, keep these guys a-fighting. They got to make that bread. So we had been clean. The prelims got all the picks clean. Started the main car with Umar. It's a pretty easy pick. Then we had the underdog, Raquel Rocky Pennington. Split decision over Ketlin Vieira. And I'll be honest with you. Real time, I, I had Vieira winning. I think she just had higher volume, was able to win by points, two rounds to one. But that was so fucking close. And Pennington really came on rounds two and three. I mean, I think everyone, I didn't look at the official scoring. I'm sure everyone had round one Ketlin. But Rocky was definitely the one coming forward, controlling the center of the octagon, and throwing, uh, pushing the pace of the fight. But Ketlin was piecing her up on her way in, too. So this was as close as it fucking gets. This was exactly what you had expected. Two tough women willing to go in the fucking octagon, willing to take shots, durable women that are willing to, sh to throw a lot of volume, are well-rounded, up against the cage, a little dirty boxing. Uh, you know, it, it was exactly what you would expect it to be. And Rocky is on a fucking roll and has a real opportunity for a title shot. In this bout, stats, you know, tell a little bit of the story. Ketlin landed 138 total, 64 significant, while Raquel only landed 104, so 34 less, but had 81 significant strikes, and she was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts. Um, I think a lot of that Ketlin volume was round 1, but either way, I mean, this is as close as it gets. That's why you don't let it go to the judges. But I did have Vieira, but I picked Raquel.
Did not put her on a parlay as an underdog as I should have. But uh, your boy picked her, so, you know, we we getting that, that podcast validation, baby. Um, Ketlin now has her two-fight winning streak come to an end. She should not have been on a two-fight winning streak. She just keeps fighting the same, man. It's it's not fan-friendly. Uh, she's tough, though. She does move two down, uh, down two spots in the rankings to number four. Raquel's on that five-banger. She moves up three spots to number two. And uh, a real opportunity for a late-season title shot potential, even though she's gotten destroyed by Nunez before. So, if Nunez is going to fight at bantamweight after Aldana, which we never know, maybe it's Valentina, catchweight, I don't know. There's the featherweight that they keep just probably because of her. So, you know, you never know what Nunez is going to do. But it, it should be Pena Pennington for the number one contender spot. Raquel deserves something. Give it to her. The winner of that gets Nunez in the next title shot because I'm just expecting she's going to win. And for Ketlin, Penny Kianzad makes a lot of sense to me. Um, another girl that's been around tough, scrappy, high-volume striker. It, it's, it'd be about the same fight, but it'd be a good one to make. And then the Parlay Buster. Roman Kapalov, second-round TKO over Punahili Soriano. He got performance of the night, payday. And, dude... You look at Puni's on the scale. He's got, like, back muscles on back muscles. He's fucking shredded. Little island boy. Uh, not little. Fucking big. And he looks like he should be a middle linebacker in the NFL. Um, fucking beast. Coming from Dana White Contender Series, like, I fucking like this guy. He'd really done a, a lot of good things. Fought some good guys. Uh, people like Dusko Chodorovic early on. And he just showed the heart of a warrior. Now, he's been in the UFC for, I mean, let's look. My sense of time, I know everyone says this, but since COVID, I, I don't know. It's all fucked up, dude. It's all fucked up. Been smoking too many bowls, apparently. Um, Puna has been in the UFC, yeah, quite a while. Since December of 2019, he won his uh, Dana White Contender Series June of 2019. It's quite a bit of time. He fought in January of 2023, a high-quality opponent. He's lost to some good ones. He's, he's beat some good ones. But with a guy that's so athletically talented with a fucking power strike, you would think there'd be a little bit of patience. You know you're shredded. I'm sure you're in great shape. But when you go all out like that, your cardio tank gets emptied, right? We know this. Dan Ige's his guy. Dan Ige fought later, got the dub. You know, he's a great guy that can go long distance. You know, I'm sure they work together. They, they went to the same collegiate Juco college or D2 college. You know, they're both island boys. All this shit. You'd think there would be some translation here. And, you know, I'm not a fighter. I'm, you know, not shredded like Puna, all these things. But if I'm fucking Puna, you know, I'm going to be a little bit, little less just fucking Tasmanian devilish. Just a little fucking everywhere, like seeing red. And I'm going to mix some shit up a little bit. Instead of just these big fucking hooks and strikes, like get some leg kicks going in, fake some fucking takedowns, put them up against the cage, like mix that shit up a little bit. And I just expected to see the best version, right? I, I just know the potential that this motherfucker has. And I was excited to see it. And Roman Kopolov is on a tear. 
And I was like, you know what? Puna's going to find a way. That warrior fucking heart, that athletic ability, and he, he's, he's leveled up a little bit. He showed some of it in the uh, Dolce fight. You know, he lost to Nick Maximov, but it was a split decision, and Maximov is tough. He's a grappler. He lost to Brendan Allen, unanimous decision. It was quite a while ago. Maybe not as much, you know, growth shown there. But from Maximov to Dolce to this, I just felt like he took a step backwards. Although Roman fucked him up with some body shots, like fucked up liver shots that would have ended people a lot earlier. You know, this was a TKO finish because of body shots. He's probably pissing blood the next day. Most people would have been ended. I mean, he's tough, but Roman was just landing him because Puna's always going for the head. Roman's giving body shots, leg kicks. He's making you think he's mixing it up, right? And, and I think that's really what's leveled Roman up. He has been a power striker before, too. He's shown his leveled up in this fight. I was expecting Puna to level more. Super Saiyan 2 his ass, and it didn't happen. And I lost the bag, but it's okay. You know, and nothing has, you know. Puna's still my guy. I expect to see him come back. But this, this was disappointing. Statistically, Roman landed 82 total and significant strikes. He had a takedown. And Puna only landed 39 total, 39 of them significant, while going 0 for 3 in takedowns, and the takedowns were pretty much, oh, I'm fucked up. Like, you know, this is my emergency button, like uh, eject button. Roman extends his winning streak to 2. He is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. And Punahili starts a new losing streak. He is 3-3 three and three in the UFC. Still two tough sons of bitches. I can't wait to see what's next. What could be next? Well, give me Roman and Andre Petrosky. Petrosi is going to be shooting for a lot higher level talent, but Roman's on a tear, um, and this will be a good contest for him. And I think it's, you know, I'm a little matchmaker. This is a little good matchmaking right here. And for Puna, Mahmud, Muradov, I think that'd be a great fight. Either way, Roman and Puna Healy uh, fighting, we tuning in. And then we have the co-main. The other island boy, Dan, 50K Ige, second round fucking knockout over Damon Jackson, performance of the night. Give him that 50K. And golly, it felt good to see 10. I mean, everything I just said about, well, I shouldn't even say that. I don't think Ige needed to be better. He is still a tough motherfucker. I mean, let's look at it. He had come in the UFC, got on a terror, beat guys like Edson Barboza when Barboza was a fucking savage, lost to Calvin Cater, unanimous decision. Cater just out-volumed him. Um, I, I thought he fought pretty good from, from remembrance. Beat Gavin Tucker, lost uh, um, uh, the Korean Zombie. That one caught me by a little bit of a surprise. Um, all of these UD uh, losses. Lost to Josh Emmett, lost to Evloev, now knocks out Jackson. These other guys are fucking solid. Emmett's now fighting for the interim title. Evloev, stud, going to be top of the notch. Korean Zombie, before he was getting old, I thought Dan was definitely going to win that, but he didn't. Point being, Dan's a fucking savage. He, you know, if you don't know his story, look it up. I'm sure there's some fucking YouTube shit on it or something. But he really is all about the fight game. And he trains with some bad motherfuckers. His striking, his cardio, his everything is pretty fucking good. Is he a wrestling heavy guy? Absolutely not. Can he? Yes. Can he do some jujitsu? Absolutely. He could do a little bit of everything. He's a well-rounded MMA package. And people literally thought, not to 
shade Damon Jackson, that Damon Jackson was going to be a problem. You know, he's kind of, you know, that Jimmy Flick kind of sneakiness, long, weird striking, just awkward guy to fight. And I knew Dan, just by looking at some of his shit on social media coming to the fight, was going to demolish him. The shape that he's in is usually amazing cardio. He looked to be in the best shape of his life. You're on a three-fight skid. You lose another year. Career's in jeopardy. And this was going to force the best out of Dan Ige. And he did it. And he even talked about needing that confidence. He proved to himself he could do it again. I can't fucking wait to see what he does next. But golly! Cheers to fucking Dan Ige, man. Woo! What a fight. Um, I don't even know if I covered this, but yeah. He landed 40 total and 34 significant strikes. He had a takedown and knockdown. You know, he, he was piecing up Damon early. He had a cut on his forehead. And Damon just never looked comfortable. He was con- consistently against the cage and just doing wild shit. Damon landed 38 total and 36 significant strikes. He was 0 for 1 in takedowns himself. So Dan uh, starts a new winning streak after that brutal three-fight skid. He stays at 13 in the rankings. Damon has his impressive four-fight winning streak come to an end and starts a new losing streak. So, after all that said, where's Dan getting that 50K next? I think the fight to make, two guys been through a lot of crazy shit the past few years. Book this shit immediately. Give me Dan Ige and Thug Nasty fucking Bryce Mitchell. That would be a fucking fun fight. Grab your popcorn, hide your kids, hide your wife. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but that would be a good scrap, and I think it makes complete sense after this uh, certain circumstances. While Damon could take on Julian Arosa, was on a nice streak, just suffered a loss to Bruce Leroy, uh, Alex Caceres. So uh, I think those would be fun fights. Lots of potential either way for Mr. Dan Ige. Then we have the main event, man. The Sean Strickland takeover. Unanimous decision over Nasruddin Amavov. And I had been back and forth on this fight. Uh, I might have even picked Nasruddin at one point in time. Like mentally convinced myself. But I ended up going with Sean Strickland. I just feel like the experience and the fucking amount of sparring and training and everything he's done. is going to be a little too much for Nasruddin. And I questioned Nasruddin's cardio and his gas tank, and that's really what came to fruition. I was surprised it lasted all five rounds. Sean did get a little bit more risky than he did in the Killer Gorilla fight, but I thought he was going to come out like a savage in round one, and and maybe even round two, and that really wasn't the case. Nasruddin has a lot of skill. He is still so young. Um, he, he I don't think this was a good, you know, I don't think he would have beat Kelvin Gastelum either. We haven't seen Kelvin in years so or a while. I don't, you know, no one's going to know. Um, he had obviously prepared for Kelvin, but Kelvin would have wore the shit out of him if he was as tired as he was against Sean, who got this, been a fat ass. You know, I was also a little worried about Sean. It's like, man, he's taking this very late notice, just got a fight. I mean, if someone was prepared to have another fight in a couple of weeks, it's Sean Strickland, but I don't think a lot of people get done with the fight. They go eat some pizza, have some beers, like relax, right? You're not like, oh, fuck. But this guy probably was just like fucking, oh, fuck, let smash some heads. Um, either way, though, Nasruddin, amazing talent, very good mix of striking and, you know, body kicks, leg kicks, head kicks, just really, really nice flow. I think he's got to be able to pick moments when to be more aggressive 
and he's got to get that cardio gas tank a little bit better. Although this was a five-round fight, he won't be doing that anytime soon. I was still impressed, but Sean is tough to hit. He keeps coming at you, pushing the pace, and, and Nasruddin likes those long strikes. So when you're close, you can't really get that, that flow of, of your distance control, and I think that, that worked in Sean's favor. Statistically, Sean landed an impressive 194 total, 182 significant strikes with a takedown, which is hilarious and was hilarious. Compared to Nasser Dean's, it was very end of the fight. They were both gassed. Uh, Nasser Dean's 131 total and 123 significant strikes. He was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts himself. So Sean starts a new winning streak after that two-fight losing streak. You know the boy was like, fuck, I hate losing. I hate losing multiple times in a row. I will do whatever the fuck I have to do to get a win on my record. He only stays at number seven, but he's on the momentum train again. Nasser Dean has his three-fight winning streak come to an end. He starts a new losing streak and stays at number 12. This was the best competition level he has faced in his UFC career, and I do believe this will make him better. So where do these two gents end up next? Let's just put the savages together. Give me Sean Strickland, Roman DeLidze. That shit makes sense. I would say Marvin Vittoria makes sense with the standings and the way everything's going on, but they train together. You know, Sean don't give a fuck about anything, so maybe that'll happen. But give me DeLidze and Strickland, man. Woo-wee! Could you imagine what that shit would look like? And for Amavov, Jack Hermanson, that would be the fight to make. Unless Darren Till, you know, is he going to fight in the first half of this year? Like, you know, he might take some time off. Seems like he's going through some shit. So I wouldn't bet on that. But I wouldn't mind seeing a little Imavov Darren Till action. But the Joker might be ready to dance. Again, decent card. Nothing that blew me away. Big takeaways. Charles Johnson is going to be pretty solid in flyweight. Javid Basharat, man. Tune the fuck in. Umar Ghali. Uh, he should be higher up in the rankings. Can't wait to see what his next fight is. Hopefully it's soon. He said he's going to stay in Vegas. They're looking to turn it around quick. Make that shit happen. Uh, Raquel Pennington, title shot potentials. Kapolov, golly, he's looking good. Ready to see the Punahili rebound. Fucking Dan Ige is the man. What sets us up for Rio de Janeiro, UFC 283, pay-per-view, prelims on ABC and ESPN, some local television, 5 p.m. Pacific. And I am stoked, man. There's some pretty solid fights on this card. Uh, some fights we won't break down. We have 15th ranked Josan Nunez fighting Nicholas Dalby fighting and Gabriel Bonfim's debut. His brothers on the card as well. A lot of Brazilian blood in the foreign location. We're going to start in the early prelims, which I'm surprised this, this man is fighting in the early pre prelims, but we have Ismail Mareta Bonfim. The 27-year-old fighter with an 18-3 record taking on Terrence T-Rex McKinney, 28 years old with a 13-4 record. I feel like, you know, he's shown a lot. I like to watch him. I'd assume the fans do as well. So I'm surprised it's in the early prelims. But uh, we're going to get a very good measuring stick on Ismail Bonfim right out the gates against a very high-flying, some could say reckless, Terrence McKinney, he will fuck you up or get fucked up. He don't give a fuck. And uh, I'm all for it. <laughs> uh, 
Terrence, he's got a purple belt in BJJ. Little Spoke, Spoke Compton uh, legend. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 2-1 in 2022. He has a JUCO wrestling background at a North Idaho college. He wrestled D2 for a short stint at Notre Dame College where he dropped out and things went wild. He had 2022 round of the year, according to SureDog and some people. Wasn't my round of the year. Very fucking good round, though. Terrence McKinney, Drew Tober. Holy moly. And five of his wins are via knockout, eight via submission. So 13 of his 13 wins are via finish. Again, he'll wreck you. Three of his four losses are also via knockout. To knock out or to be knocked out. He is an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum, and he has a five-inch leg reach advantage. Ismael is an LFA, Dana White Contender Series, and Jungle Fight alum. He is on a 12-fight winning streak. Eight of his 18 wins are via knockout. Three of his three losses via submission. I do think Bonfim is going to be a great lightweight prospect. He's only 27, not even entering his prime yet. But I don't think he is going to go from one LFA fight to a Dana White Contender Series victory to defeating Terrence McKinney in his UFC debut. But we're about to find out. Regardless, I'm going to get a little reckless. You know, fuck it. First pay-per-view of the year. I'm taking Terrence McKinney. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got... Luan Lacerda, 30 years old, with a 12-1 record, taking on Cody the Spartan Stamen, 33 years old, with a 25-1 record. To me, this is a very interesting situation as we get a guy making his UFC debut, lots of those, and Cody, who's looking to get his career back on track. Big fight skid, his only win recently against a veteran that I think since has been released in Eddie Wineland, um, which I mean, the sugar show fought Eddie Wineland. Um, the fuck's his name? We said it earlier that just got released. Raulian Paiva and the green haired guy. I can't even remember his name and they're all cut. So maybe that doesn't provide the best reference because he's recently cut. Point being, he fought a veteran at the very end of his career for his first win back on track. But the guy is a little Spartan, man. He's small. He's a wrestler. He's solid. Nice frame. Tough motherfucker. He just, you know, it's a, it's a short guy. It's hard to fight long, lanky fighters that are good at distance control, that are high-quality strikers, unless you could take him down and grapple him and hold him there. But he's in desperation mode, man, so it, it's going to make for a fun fight. I do think Luan's going to be a, a solid UFC fighter. He is an LFA and Jungle Fight alum. He is making his UFC debut on a 10-fight winning streak. 10 of his 12 wins are via submission, and his one loss is also via submission. Cody trains out of Extreme Couture. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 2-3 and three since 2020. He is a blue belt in BJJ. He has a D2 wrestling background out of Grand Valley State University, and seven of his 20 wins are via knockout. I honestly do think this, you know, flip a fucking coin. I think this is a, a coin flip. Uh, pretty much a toss-up. Luan has got that mentality, that confidence, right? He's on a fucking hot streak. He's really rolling coming into the UFC with a winning streak like that against pretty high-quality uh, competition and tough promotions. 
I think Cody's going to have to go to grappling a little bit. You can't always be a, a fan favorite, you know, striking, getting reckless, and, and allowing someone else to focus on their strengths. I mean, look at Marab Dwalashwili, although he is not getting leapfrogged to a title shot any, anytime soon. Um, so I think he's going to have to grapple, look to grapple. You know, Luan is a BJJ stud, so that can be challenging. This should be a pretty even fight while standing. I just have a feeling the Spartan is going to keep his UFC career alive. He's going to find a way, but I would not put him on any kind of betting opportunities. Until we rebranded the UFC show, maybe we'll talk about some over-unders, submission-type shit, but for just putting them in a parlay or picking them straight up money line, I ain't about it. Let's see, is he favored or not? So, um, Terrence McKinney, one, minus 113. Ismail, minus 113. It's a pretty much a toss-up. Cody Stamen is a minus 370 favorite. Wow. I'm kind of shocked by that, actually. Minus 360. Hmm. Well, we're taking Stamen. And then we are now in the prelims. We get Shamil Abrik Abdurakimov, the 41-year-old fighter with a 20-7 and record and the number 15 next to his name, taking on Jalton Malhadinho Almeida, 31 years old with a 17-2 and record. And Jalton is one of the hottest prospects in the fucking game right now. Um, you know, basically this is validated. He is a minus 1,000 favorite against a top 15 fighter, a true veteran of the sport, plus 560, minus 1,000. That's all the validation you need to know. Uh, but he is looking to break on the scene in Rio de Janeiro. I could foresee, like anybody, in a vicious knockout here. And the crowd will go wild. Shamil, he's got a freestyle wrestling, kickboxing, and Santa background. He is on a three-fight losing streak. He is 41 and potentially on his way out. He's an M1 alum. He hasn't won since April of 2019. Nine of his 20 losses are via knockout. Five of his seven losses are also via knockout. While Almeida is an orthodox fighter, he's got a black belt in BJJ. He's on a 12-fight winning streak. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. 11 of his 17 wins are via submission. Six via knockout. So 17 of 17, 100% finish rate. And he's got a three-inch reach advantage. Watch the fuck out. And although it's minus 1,000 for Almeida, I don't think this will be as bad as the odds are. I would not be surprised whatsoever he gets that early highlight victory. Rio's on their feet going fucking nuts to start the fucking prelims. We're not even on the main card yet. Um... But I'm assuming Shamil, you know, he's he's a veteran, man. He's been around. He's going to try to grapple, close distance, wrestle, dirty box, and just tire the young fucking shredded stud out. And I think there's a possibility he does that, and it goes a little bit later. But I am not betting against Shamil. I'm taking Jalton. I'll pick him. I want to put him in a parlay because it's minus 1,000, but I'll take Almeida, put that shit in the bag. Moving on. A short notice fight because of pullout. We have Tiago Moises, 27 years old with a 16 and 6 record, taking on Melquizel Melk Costa, 26 years old with a 19 and 5 record. And again, another Brazil USC debut against a very good Tiago Moises, who is not quite in his prime yet, but I'm I've been a big fan of. 
Tiago is a Southpaw fighter. He, he has a black belt in BJJ. He trains out of American Top Team. He is a Dana White Contender Series LFA and RFA alum. Uh, RFA former champion. He's on a one-fight winning streak, which was his only fight in 2022. And seven of his 16 wins are via submission. Melk trains out of Shoot Box. He's on a two-fight winning streak. He's an LFA PFL and Jungle Fight alum. Seven of his 19 wins are via knockout. Six via submission. So 13 of 19 via finish. I do expect to see a wild fight here. I'm going with Moises. I believe he's more well-rounded, and he's going to put Melk into waters he hasn't been in. I'm going to take Moises. We put him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. My fucking guy, man. I love this guy. We got Gregory Robocop. Rodriguez, 30 years old with a 13-4 and record, taking on Bruno the Hulk Fiata. 30 years old with a pristine 9-0 and record. And uh, I'm going to be honest, as much as the Brazil talent, you know, it's just a real card, you're like, eh, they're just, you know, setting this up. There's some good talent making their UFC debut on this card. Bruno, 30 years old, fucking powerhouse as well. But he's facing the Terminator and RoboCop after his last three fights. How can you not be a fan of his? He looks like he's 40, but he's 30. He, he ain't 30. Those are 23s. Uh, it's pretty wild um, that uh, Gregory did get an opponent, though, because I believe, I want to say less than two weeks ago, Brad Tavares pulled out. So I was worried he was going to get pulled off the card. He's going to take a UFC debut. I would say young, but it's the same age. But I'm fired up. Gregory has a black belt in BJJ. Three of his five fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He's on a two-fight winning streak, 4-1 and one in the UFC. Seven of his 13 wins are via finish or via knockout, four via submission. So 11 of his 13 wins have been via finish. Two of his four losses are via knockout. So he is a little reckless. I think he's really improved, though. And I'm surprised his cardio goes as good as it does. So again, Bruno is a late fill-in for Brad Tavares. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum, undefeated making his UFC debut, and six of his nine wins are via knockout. I would bet the under on this one. But I'm taking Gregory. I'm putting Robocop on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. Still in the prelims, yep. Pretty wild. We got... <laughs> Shogun in the prelims, Mauricio Shogun Rua, 41 years old in his last UFC fight with a 27-13-1 record, taking on Ihor, the duelist, Potera, 26 years old with a 19-3 record. Not quite another UFC debut, but pretty close. We have guys on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. As much as I shouldn't pick a 41-year-old fighter ending his career and getting a storybook ending in Rio de Janeiro, I was actually somewhat impressed after all the time off in the age how Shogun looked against OSP, although OSP did get the win. I think he could get the job done if he just is Shogun. Grapple, tires him out, 
you know, uses his strength to his advantage, is savvy striking. I think he can find a way. But Mauricio has a black Prajid in Muay Thai, a black belt in BJJ. He's obviously a true fucking OG of the UFC or just the sport in general. He's a former light heavyweight champion. He's tied for the most fight night bonuses in UFC light heavyweight division history with eight. He had the fight of the year in 2011 versus Dan Henderson. That was a fucking scrap. He's a Pride alum. He's already in the Hall of Fame. He had the 2010 knockout of the year against Lyota Machida. I would say you could say that shocked the world. 2005 fighter of the year. 2005 fight of the year against Antonio Rogerio Noguera. 2009 comeback fighter of the year. He's on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since July of 2020. 21 of his 27 wins are via knockout. Six of his 13 losses are also via knockout. Now, Ihor is on a one-fight losing streak. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum. Eight of his 18 wins are via knockout. Six via submission. So 14 of his 18 fights via finish. He does have a three-and-a-half-inch leg reach advantage. Again, I expect a good fight. This potentially could go the decision. I won't put this in a parlay. I probably shouldn't bet on a 41-year-old fighter, so keep that in mind. It just feels right. Sometimes stories do come true. Dreams, stories, you get the deal. But I'm going with Shogun. I am not putting this on a parlay of any sort. Heading to the main card. Paul Bearjew Craig, 35 years old with a 16-5-1 record and the number nine next to his name, taking on Johnny Walker, 30 years old, 19-7, and and the number 12 next to his name. Not Texas, Johnny Walker. I think this will be a good, a good fight to start the main card. I think it'll really set the stage for the rest of their UFC career. You know, Paul's 35, debatably past his prime. Johnny's just entering it. But this is pivotal moments for where they're at. If Johnny loses, he is completely off, like, the big-time prospect, a legit potential, the length, all the fucking things that he had been talked about for the past few years. You take a loss here, I think that's all gone. And a lot of people, it already is. Paul's a fucking savage, though. He's tough. He's an underdog a lot of the times. He finds a way. If he loses, I think he is done going to, you know, getting the opportunity to fight top 15-like guys for, for some time. I mean, he's ranked number nine. You lose here. You probably take the 12. You might get one more chance. But no one's really going to want to fuck with him because how tricky of a guy he is. You could be beating the shit out of him for two rounds. He's got you in an ankle lock or snaps your arm or some crazy shit. So I do think this is a huge moment for them because if Paul gets the win here, he's going to get a a big, big time fucking fight. Johnny wins here. He's pretty much saving his career, although he still is young. He's battled a lot of injuries and he's been in the shitter lately. So Paul, he's got a black belt in BJJ. Four of his last seven fights have been performance of the night. He has the second most submission wins in UFC light heavyweight division history with six. I mean, this guy is fucking fun to watch. I'm tuning in regardless. It's just a big time fight. He's got the most triangle choke submission wins in UFC light heavyweight history with four. According to some, including Jits Magazine, which it's a Jits Magazine. I think that's pretty good credibility, but he had the 2022 submission of the year against Nikita Krylov. He's on a one-fight losing streak. 
He was 1-1 one one in 2020. 13 of his 16 wins are via submission, and three of his five losses are via knockout. Johnny, he's got a brown belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White Contender Series and Jungle Fight alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He was 1-1 one one in 2022. 15 of his 19 wins are via knockout. Four of his seven losses via knockout. He has a six-inch reach advantage here. Pretty big deal. I think Johnny is going to continue to Johnny. He's going to come out aggressive. I think he believes he's the better fighter here. Paul has some sneaky boxing, though. I think it's approved a lot in the past few fights, past few years. Johnny, again, is just entering his prime and is in desperate need of a win. I think Paul can get his ass kicked for a couple rounds and still find a way. Johnny usually uh, overdoes it. So I think patience is going to be a key. I think we get a savage affair. It's going to be a fun one. Make sure you got that pay-per-view ready to rock. I'm going to take Johnny Walker. I'm doing it. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. As long as he makes weight. Don't make bets till after Friday morning weigh-ins. And make sure people don't look like... Like Davis and Figueredo, we're going to talk about that, look terrible before the weigh-ins, two days before it. Looks like he has no weight to lose. Just saying. Just saying, you know. We have Lauren Lucky Murphy, the 39-year-old fighter with a 16-5 and record, and the number four next to her name, taking on Jessica Bateastaka Andraj. 31 years old with a 23-9 and nine record and the number six next to her name. If I could pick two UFC-rostered women that are tough as hell and like to throw hands, we, we got a matchup right here. They, they are tougher than nails. They throw hands like the best of them. I do not expect this fight to go to the judges' scorecards. And Andrade has looked like a fucking problem lately. Let's pull her record up real quick. She's fought in multiple weight classes. She had beat Amanda Lemos really good. That fucking first standing triangle, uh, arm triangle choke. Cynthia Cavillo, tough veteran, lost to Valentina, beat Catlin Chukagian. I mean, very, very high-quality opponents. Has beaten Rose before. Tisha Torres, Claudia Gadalia, Angela Hill, JoJo, Jessica Penne. I mean, Jessica Andrade is a fucking problem against anybody. But let's start with Lauren. She's got a brown belt in BJJ. She was a 2014 IBJJF blue belt middleweight no-gi gold winner. She's on a one-fight winning streak. Eight of her 16 wins are via knockout. She has a five-inch reach advantage and a three-inch leg reach advantage. She is a legacy FC ultimate fighter and Invicta alum. While Jessica has a black belt in BJJ. Lauren's local here in the Phoenix area as well, Peoria. Uh, Jessica has a black belt in BJJ. She is a former strawweight champion. She is tied with Rose Namajunas and Amanda Lemos for the most finishes in UFC women's strawweight history with five. She's got the most knockouts in UFC women's strawweight division with three. The second most fights in UFC women's history with 21. Can you do something for me? 21, 21. Uh, most fight of the night bonuses in UFC women's history with nine. 
She's tied with Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunez for most performance of the night bonuses in UFC women's history with five. The only woman in UFC history to win a fight in three, not one, not four, but three weight classes. As of my arms cramping. <laughs> um, first standing arm triangle choke in UFC history. That's why I gave her submission of the year. My 2022 submission of the year. Uh, nine of her 23 wins are via knockout. Eight via submission. So 17 of the 23 via finish. Four of her nine losses are via knockout. And she's on a two-fight winning streak. Both women have kind of beaten everyone up since 2019. Besides the bullet, Valentina Shevchenko. But again, there's levels. You got Nunez, Valentina, you know, and everyone else. So, it's fair that they're fighting each other. The problem is, I just think Jessica's more fresh. I think she's more well-rounded. If Lauren could get on top and use her top pressure, you know, she's almost 40 years old. You see a lot of men fighting high level at 39. You don't see a lot of women. If there's one to do it, it's Lucky Murphy. But I just think Batea Staka is going to find a way. I think it's going to be highlight. And for that reason, I'm taking on Draj. We putting that ish on our parlay. We marking it down. And we getting that bread. Little Tasmanian devil. I was just talking about weigh-ins. When the fuck is the weigh-ins? Rio de Janeiro? Maybe that shit already happened. Let's see what UFC or event are we on? 285? 283? When is UFC 283 weigh ins? Why can't I find it? Seven hours ago, ceremonial weigh in. Five weigh in show. Should go over. UFC 283 weigh-in results. 17, mini, 17 minutes ago. Oh, shit. Might be able to make some bets tonight. Let's go. Let's see. And it doesn't show anything. But it has a YouTube video. Hmm. One day, one day, two hours ago, Bellator. This is 283, right? Hmm. Why can't I find anything, Google? When is UFC 283 weigh-ins? I am so confused. There's like YouTube videos. Uh, you know, well, hold on. Oh, Jenny. Nope. Yep. That's it. Then nothing loads. Fucking some Rio shit. I don't know when they're fucking are, but probably wake up in the morning and we'll have the weigh-ins. So anyways, let's keep going. One of my favorite fighters. I thought he beat Chemaev. We get Gilbert Durino Burns. 36 years old with a 20-5 and five record and the number five next to his name. Taking on Neil, the Haitian sensation, Magny. 35 years old with a 27-10 and 10 record and the number 12 next to his name. 
These are some bad motherfuckers. Give me a place, give me a location, give me an opponent, and I'm in. That's these guys. I really enjoy both fighters. I love Neil Magny. He's ton of, done a ton of great things in the sport. We'll break him down here in a minute. But he's taking on a guy that's just fucking blood hungry right now. He's on, you know, different level. We're talking levels. I think he's a level above. And he needs another win to get back to where he wants to be. He thinks he beat Chemayev. I thought he beat Chemayev. It was so fucking close. One of the better fights I've seen in quite some time. I just don't see Magny out grappling or striking Burns. He's really good at both. But Burns is a fucking savage. It will be interesting, though, because Neil is the bigger natural fighter. Gilbert's moved up and down weight classes. Either way, Gilbert wanted to fight. He's fucking game. He's waited for Jorge Masvidal. Fucking straight Jesus forever. Never happened. But here we are. We got a fucking scrap. Gilbert, he's got a third-degree black belt in BJJ. He trains at a Killcliffe FC. I'll say this a few more times, but formerly Sanford. Bunch of fucking dogs. Shut up, Siri. He won gold at 2015 ADCC World Championships. The best of the best. I'm competing next year. I'm just kidding. Uh, he had gold at the 2011 World Jiu-Jitsu Championships and in Nogi. Gi and Nogi. ADCC champion. That's all you need to know. That's like the fucking getting a Super Bowl. Three of his last five fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He gives the people what they want, man. He's on a one-fight losing streak. Six of his 20 wins are via knockout, eight via submission, so 14 of 20 via finish. Neil trains at an elevation fight team. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He's tied for the most wins in a calendar year with five back in 2014. Five in a year, that's fucking chaos. He's got the most decision wins in UFC history with 13. Don't know how excited he is about that. Uh, most bouts in UFC welterweight history with 15. The longest fight time in welterweight history with almost six hours, five hours and 58 minutes and some change. Five of his nine losses are via submission. He's on a one fight winning streak. He was two and one in 2022. He has a nine inch reach advantage and a five inch leg reach advantage. Pretty crazy, but I bet you Gilbert Burns closes the distance. I think this is going to be high-paced fucking chaos. It's going to go everywhere, up against the cage, on the mats, maybe some slams, who fucking knows. But Burns is just fighting at a level that is so impressive. He's in Rio. He's got the whole gang-gang showing up. He's going to put on a show. We're taking Dorino. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We get the fourth affair. Stevenson, God of War, Figueredo, 35 years old with a 21-2-1 record, taking on Brandon the Assassin Baby Moreno, 29 years old, 26-2 record, 26-2, not 26-2, 21, six losses, two draws, ties, whatever, and the number one next to his name. I believe this has got to be the first time we've gotten a fourth bout of fighters. And Divison Figueredo is fighting his fourth matchup against the same fighter in a row. In just over two years, four fights in two years against the same guy. It's pretty crazy. 
The first one was a majority draw. The second one was a finish, submission finish by Moreno. And the last one was a unanimous decision by the God of War. Not many people would be interested in seeing a fourth affair between fighters. But just like I think, the UFC thinks this one deserves it. And I'm stoked for it, man. All of these have been fucking insane. The, the amount of strikes, the volume, the speed that flyweights go at is crazy. And these two guys are the best of the best. We got Brazil. We got Mexico. It's going to be high drama. And it's really going to be fun for fight fans. Brandon's going through some shit, though. He trained at Glory MMA with James Krause. He got him all coached up for Kai Car France. The shit happened. He had a bounce. So he switched gyms and trainers three quarters of the way through his fight prep with this fight. And he works with boxing coach. What's his name? Uh, Hector Velasquez now. Moreno has a black belt in BJJ. He's a former champion in flyweight. Three of his last four fights have been fight of the night. He's fucking fun to watch. He's the first Mexican UFC champion. The 2021 Breakthrough Fighter of the Year. The 2021 Fight of the Year against, guess who? The God of War. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He was 1-1 one and one in 2022. 11 of his 20 wins are via submission. He is an Ultimate Fighter LFA alum and former LFA champion. Now, Devison is also a black belt in BJJ. He has two successful title defenses. Three of his last five fights have been fight of the night. He gives the people what they want as well. A lot of credit to Moreno there. He's tied for the most finishes in flyweight division history with seven. He has the fastest submission in flyweight division with over, um, or with just under two minutes, a minute and 57 seconds, which flyweights, you know, the little guys, not as much power usually, not as many finishes. That's impressive. And uh, this could potentially be his last fight at flyweight. I know, it, like we said about the weight, brutal weight cuts. 2020 fighter of the year, 2020 fight of the year against the baby-faced assassin. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He has not fought anyone else besides Moreno since 2020. Nine of his 21 wins are via knockout, eight via submission. So 17 of his 21 wins via finish. And he is also a Jungle Fight alum. I've always thought very, very highly of the God of War. As he was going up through the stages before Moreno in his prime, I was like, Divas in all the way. This guy cannot be stopped. I just don't know if we've seen a ton of growth from him. I think in his last fight, working with Henry Cejudo, Triple C, Fight Ready here in Phoenix, I thought we saw the best figure we've seen. The growth that Brandon has... If I look back at me as a man, my most influential years are probably 22 to 28. And that's right where Brandon is. He's evolved a ton. He's worked with different coaches, different gyms. He worked with Kraus, which I think helped a lot. He showcased a lot of that against Kai Kara France, who's still tough as fuck. And I just love the idea of him working with boxing coach Hector Vasquez right at the end of this whole thing because of James Kraus. And I think we are going to see some striking he is not going to get bullied. I think he is more durable. I think he's better ever, uh, as an all-around package than Devison. Um, this really is, if people think they know what's going to happen, you don't fucking know. But I'm going with the baby face assassin, and I am putting that motherfucker in my parlay. He's not even in his prime yet, but we're about to see the best version of Brandon Moreno. 
Put that motherfucker on the parlay. Mark that ish down. And let's get that bread. Then the main event of the evening, Glover Teixeira, the motherfucking 43-year-old badass, 33-8 and record, the number two next to his name, taking on the young stud, Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, with an 11-1 and record and the number seven next to his name. Forgot his age, didn't put it down. 31 years old, right in his prime. A 12-year age difference. I just think this is a whole fucking wild situation. Light heavyweight since John Jones has left has just been wild. You have the draw between Megomed Ankalaev and Jan Blakovich. I had Ankalaev winning that. Put us in a situation where literally after the fight, maybe even before the fight was over, the UFC grabbed Glover backstage, immediately offered him a fight against Jamal Hill for the fucking uh, uh, interim title. Since Yuri is still recovering from the shoulder surgery, they weren't going to, you know, give anyone a title after a draw. So here we are. Glover's right back in the mix at 40 fucking three years old. This is interesting because if Jamal Hill does win, it allows some new blood at the top of the division. And, uh, you know, it won't be the same old crusty names. Glover, he's got a fifth degree black belt in Kaju Kenbo, a second degree black belt in BJJ. He's the former light heavyweight champion. He has the most finishes in lightweight history with 13 light heavyweight. Uh, most submissions in light heavyweight history was seven. The second most wins in UFC light heavyweight history was 16. The most post-fight bonuses in UFC light heavyweight history with nine. Four of his last six fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He had the 2022 fight of the year against Yuri Prashaka. The 2020 comeback of the year against Tiago Santos. I picked Santos in that fight. I was positive. Glover's older than shit. He found a way. Lost me a bunch of money. The Yuri Prashaka fight. I had a parlay that was going to hit with the five seconds before he tapped out. Lost a bunch of money there as well. So I don't have a good track record with Glover. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He lost the title against Yuri. And his only loss since 2018, though, he's been on a tear. The older he's gotten, he's like fine wine. And that fight against Yuri Prashaka was clearly fight of the year, in my opinion. 18 of his 33 wins are via knockout, 10 via submission. So 28 of his 33 fights via finish. What a fucking career. Uh, I remember when Glover was the stud fighting John Jones at fucking the championship and couldn't win. And I thought he was never going to have a chance again. Here we fucking are. Um, Jamal has three fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He's a blue belt in BJJ. He he's fucking fan friendly. He, he knocks the fuck out of people. Seven of his 11 wins are via knockout. He has a three inch reach advantage and he's on a three fight winning streak. Now, I believe in my futures pick, I picked Jamal Hill because I really didn't know what to do in light heavyweight. And he probably, you know, realistically should win this fight. I really like where he is. Entering his prime, he's fucking dangerous. His strengths lack... Where his strengths lack is where Glover thrives. Much like I said with Shogun, it's hard to pick a 43-year-old. The problem is, we have not seen Jamal Hill go deep into fights. 
Glover just fought a savage in Yuri Prashaka last summer and went to five rounds of fucking war. Dig deep, although he did tap out pretty much. I felt like kind of gave up at the end. He was so tired. Is Hill going to be able to put him in that place? I don't think so. Hill's chance is let me go land a fucking shot and put this old man to sleep. And that very well could happen and very well could happen early. Glover's aware of that. He trains with Poetan, the hardest hitting motherfucker out there. He probably has a, a pretty good chin. We've seen it. We've seen him take some shots. And I think he's going to be durable enough to stick in it, stay out of danger. He's so savvy. He has so much ring time. He is going to find a way to close the distance. And I don't care how improved the blue belt Jamal Hill is at grappling. You can't tell me that he is going to be able to keep Glover off of him. Nobody has. And I mean fucking nobody. If Glover, you know, didn't beat, he tapped out at the last second, but technically beat Yuri, is Hill better than Yuri? I would not say so. I think Hill's best chance is to get a round one or round two knockout. If it goes into round three, you might as well just write it off to Glover. I really can't find a way to pick Jamal. My logic wants to tell me it's going to be sweet dreams all night in Rio de Janeiro. But I'm going with fucking Glover Teixeira at 43 years old, getting the fucking strap back. I'll probably put him on a parlay. Do I recommend doing that? Absolutely not. I would stay away from this fight. But that's who I'm taking. And I'm excited. Again, not many times are you fired up like, oh, fucking UFC pay-per-view. We got a 43-year-old guy and uh, a fourth around affair of little fucking flyweights. So stoked, man. No, I'm fucking stoked. These are going to be great fights. The main card's stacked. We get uh, Gilbert Burns, a great women's bout. Johnny Walker, Bear Jew. I mean, come on. Is it fucking box office? Maybe not, but it's worth the purchase in Rio de Janeiro. And you got to enjoy it. Because after this card, we have another Saturday off before another fight night card which I would agree may be the worst one so far. And it starts a 10 p.m. Pacific main card start. It's headlined by the once booked Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. Hopefully Derek Lewis doesn't have stomach issues this time or whatever the fuck happened, diarrhea or something. But a 10 p.m. Pacific, I'm in Mountain Town, it's 11 p.m. for a main card start. I'm, you know, I'm fucking, I'm fucking... An MMA freak, though. I'll be tuning in, but I bet you a bunch of people don't. And if you're not, just tune into Business of Buckets. I got you. But enjoy this pay-per-view before the week off. Episode 115, rebrand coming soon. See you guys next week.